Hey guys, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed. Uh, it is a Monday evening. I'm actually signed into my uh, sociology class on Zoom, but I'm waiting for it to start. Uh, and I just had a freak out moment because I thought my microphone was on and they were going to hear this, but they do not. Um, I'm definitely, whoop, we can hear him. I'm definitely going to, uh, I want to talk about my philosophy class I'm taking. This dude, so the class is called How to Think About Weird Things, and this guy just starts out of the gate saying aliens and ghosts are not real. So, I'm going to argue is, is the point I'm making. But today, uh, this, this, um, this took a second because I got sick, things happened, uh, there was an ice storm, but... I have Suki Jones, author of Sea Swallow Me, um, been on Dopey, uh, just all around good, junky, recovered, uh, 22 years sober, has an awesome story, um, and uh, I, her book is amazing, and we had, we had fun talking. Um, it was like the, a memoir that I managed to read start to finish in a day, like I was like, uh. Let me do some research and read a page, and I read the entire thing that day. So, I highly recommend it. Um, I'll put a link to the book in the show notes, and uh, you guys, you know, oh, I have a new patron, uh, Nathan Swazinski. Swazinski, Nathan, if I pronounced that right, let me know. Uh, I think it's. So the, his payment is in lira or pounds. I don't know. It's that like L thing. What, what is that? Is that pounds? Uh, either way, I think this is my first um, overseas patron. So Nathan, send me an email. Let me know where you're from. Churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com. Thank you so much. And if you want to be a patron, patreon.com slash churchandotherdrugs. Without further ado, here is Suki Jones. Getting sick used to be like my number one trigger. Yeah. Like, well, because when I was in high school, my one of middle school and high school, one of my first uh, drugs of choice was cough medicine, DXM. Uh -huh. I was one of those kids. And so anytime back then, like anytime I would get sick, it was just like, well, I'll just take half a bottle of cough syrup. <laughs> and then, yeah. And and then you're right. Yeah, it just feels like being dope sick. I remember yeah. I hadn't had the flu in years and I got the flu the year before COVID came out. And it was like, oh, God, that was the one time I remember I went to um, I went to the urgent care. I, like I was deliriously dying and I went to the urgent care and they just like wrote me a bunch of stuff. And one of those things was codeine syrup. And I was just yeah. like, yeah, like I fucking need it. I'm dying. And I, and then I was like, well, let me, let me just ask my sponsor. And I, I texted my sponsor and I was like, Hey, like I can, like, I can take this when I have the flu. Right. And he was like, no, no, you can't like, don't do that. That would be a He's mistake. Like, Absolutely not. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. And I just threw it away. But dude, I was, I was like, dude, I'm going to die. I need this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, worse, it's awful. Man. Like, yeah. Like being like a, re like a recovered, like opiate addict and like being sick is like such a gnarly combination because like in my brain, even like two decades later, I think like my thought process is like, oh, you feel you're sick. You need to get well. And getting well means you need to go cough. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, that's like, you know, like, oh, I'll feel I'll feel better right away if I just do this thing. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, no, that's not, I can't do that. That's not what we're doing. Yeah. Have so, you had? Yeah. yeah. Have you had COVID yet? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It did the same yeah. thing. I I've had it four times and it. The same oh my thing. lord 
where it's just like, dude, this is terrible. This is terrible. Yeah. I've heard uh, like the joke is like the rehab joke is like uh, opiate addicts like just are the biggest like pussies in the world because they can't handle any sort of like, but it's like, I feel like discomfort. <laughs> I yeah. feel like it's the opposite. I think people just truly don't understand how traumatic dope sickness is, number one. Yeah, and like for, how for much, sure. It's, it's just the fear of it is unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that feeling like never, never leaves you. Like if I, like I watched the, the series with Michael Keaton, Dope Sick. Yeah. And like watching that movie, like I was like, I could remember exactly what it felt like, like to kick, like what it felt like to be like hot and cold and your skin crawling and your head slamming and like all the feelings, you know, that and one it did, really, did it right. It really it, did. It, it, it really fucked did. with me hard. Me it really too. Did. Yeah. Like it the, was like the really, girl. really good. Um, the, I, it was so. I want to hear your thoughts on it. I, it did seem a little at the end there, like just a commercial for Suboxone, where it was just like, <laughs> here's this new thing that just solves everything. Suboxone. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on, dude. But otherwise, I feel like that one nailed it. Nailed yeah. it so much. Yeah. Um, I thought it was like really like spot on. It was good. Did you see the And my other little one? Keaton was fucking rad. He was oh, so good yeah. in it. Oh yeah. Did you see the other one? Um uh oh and didn't before I do that, didn't Michael Keaton's okay, I don't want to misquote, but I think he lost a stepson or a son to addiction. Yeah, or a nephew. Some somebody Some in his family. It might be nephew. Yeah, yeah. 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 Somebody so, in his family. So he was Because I know when he accepted like um the Golden Globe or I can't remember which award it was, but like that he cheered up and like I was bawling watching him accept that award because you could tell that it meant something to him like he wasn't just an actor portraying this person he was deeply connected to it yeah yeah and I, dude i went through all the emotions so the first emotions of watching that show was damn i miss oc80s <laughs> like holy crap dude that was the it, yeah, probably, yeah. probably yeah. because like that period of my life, you know, it was relatively carefree. Because I remember I worked at um, I worked at this Italian restaurant called Monjuni's, and every Thursday was payday, and we sent the line cook Justin to go buy OCs for the entire kitchen. Oh and man, was, <laughs> it was like the best day at work, and our manager <laughs> would always come in and he'd be like, "I don't know what it is, you guys, but like." you know through the weekend you guys are just killing it it's like yeah boss yeah we sure are you're um, like huh, I, don't, I don't know i don't know i don't know why because you you were a uh, you were a doctor shopper too huh mm-hmm. big time yeah and it's it's always so did you see the pharmacist to that documentary no, I haven't, but that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> so it's it's the and it's actually um a pharmacist in Louisiana where I'm at. Um and one of my coworkers is actually in the documentary. He was a an old Pfizer rep for uh Oxycontin. Oh wow. So the pharmacist it's about this pharmacist whose son uh dies from an overdose and he was the first person to be like, wait, what is this new drug? And so he really like sounded the alarm on the whole thing. But then at the end, he kind of is like, you know, did I even do the right thing? Because now it just got replaced by fentanyl and heroin. And I, I asked that yeah. question too. It's like people were, people were dying back then, but nowhere near what what's happening right now right not, even not exponentially not like where it's like just this avalanche of like mortality yeah like we yeah. had one one or two back then like pre 2012 junkie friend deaths like i remember uh yeah like one or two and then i mean it's dozens dozens of people i know that have just died and it's yeah yeah that's well, the have other... you heard um, the jelly no, roll? Ahead. Everybody's everybody's talking about jelly roll. Like there was this, he was speaking 
And he he has this quote, and I'm probably going to misquote it, but he said something to the effect of fentanyl makes the Sackler family look like saints. Oh, wow. And that wow. to me is like, I mean, that's pretty poignant. Like that he's not wrong. Like that's not a untrue statement, you know? And that's, yeah. and that's really something to say that too, because, you know, I mean. I know, you know. It, 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 it's like, I guess it goes into like the clean supply argument. It's like, is that a good thing or not? And so I, so I am also, I'm a counselor. That's what I do. I'm a substance abuse counselor. That's my job. So I worked in residential rehab for five years. And for the last two years, I'm doing an IOP through like drug court, basically, like I do uh, prevention, um, pretrial intervention type stuff. Um, so I've, you know, been on the front lines on it. And so five, four years ago, I was all about, I think that there should be regulated clean supply at least decriminalization i think i'm still for decriminalization yeah but then i remember something as you know quote benign as kratom and i was a um like 250 dollars a day kratom addict at one time wow, and wow just because the cure to my dope sickness was 30 feet away at a gas station yeah so then i was kind of yeah. like i think it would be a disaster if uh if if i could just go buy heroin like um because that happened when i went to mexico and they just sold oxycodone and i was just like oh yeah so <laughs> yeah. i don't know where, where do you where do you land on that topic i think i think decriminalization is is great like, I think like it, it does like make it safer for people. Like, I think like the goal in my mind is always like one for people not to die and like, but for people to be able to like, if they are still in active addiction, what's the safest way for them to do it? You know, how do we make it the safest possible way? So I'm all for yeah. anything that like gets us to those goals. Yeah, it's almost though like America. So uh, you're in California, right? Yeah. So you're yeah. you're in L.A. area. San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. So it it is decriminalized there, right? Personal amounts, or is it not? Well, uh, pot is. I think I'm like I think mushrooms are. I can't remember if mushrooms have been decriminalized or if it's like kind of like almost there. Um, and that's, that's where we're at there, you know, in California. And it's, I know Oregon, I think has decriminalized that's, mushrooms that's right. and I can't remember what mushrooms pot. Is there something else? I can't I, remember. I think Portland. Yeah. Did the either Portland or Seattle did the like sweeping decriminalized personal personal amounts yeah Is Oregon and then Colorado I think also has that's right criminalized they did yeah mushrooms mushrooms yes yes uh the tenderloin that's San Francisco right oh yeah okay so yes. like y'all have like open air drug markets yes so yeah. it's almost like because it's sort of like you can't you can't put the the worms back in a can for America. It's like we, because we've done 200 years of this, just like strict prohibition. If we did just decriminalize it, there's going to be 10 years of just buck wildness before it evens out. If it ever could, I don't know that it ever could because the places where yeah. it seems like it is like tolerated, they do kind of, I don't know. I'd have to see the the actual statistics of like if there are less deaths, less crime. Like I know the the because I just read about. Um, I guess they actually did start cracking down on the drug markets there, and so they uh, all the dealers had to move to like nighttime. And like the the theory of allowing it in a certain spot was that like it would prevent it from it would just contain it. Um, yes. Yeah. 
Kind of like The Wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you yeah, ever yeah. watch The Wire? <laughs> uh, I did. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um. Wow, that was a. Uh, yeah, we just came out of the gate running, but this is Suki Jones, officer, uh, <laughs> officer, author, officer, author. <laughs> Not of, an officer of anything. <laughs> no, no. Of See Swallow Me, and so I came across Suki uh, because you liked my uh, drug comedy reels. That was, yes. I mean, I saw you on Dopey, but then um, you seem to appreciate that, that humor. Um, and then, yeah, I got, I got your book and I blew through it in a day. It was great. Um, what's funny too, is I was like halfway through the book and I was like, Oh wait, she's just like a, a, like a prescription pill popping housewife. It's like, okay. I mean, yeah. And then, and then, and then That's how it started. Exactly. And then it, I mean, then, sort of, you boom, know, then it yeah. happened and I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Not that you know how that goes. It's like, Oh yeah, you're in here for some Chardonnay. Um, no, uh, I, I related to a ton of it. I, um, screenshot, not screenshot. It took some, pictures of parts that stood out to me but i want you to be able to um we can go whatever direction if you want to kind of just bust out some of your story um or however you want to go with it really yeah i'm like however you want to do it i mean yeah. i can like a recap of my story like um i grew up um in the midwest you know like i that's where i was born um my my dad's family is southern family my grandmother's from chattanooga my family in uh, appalachia and my dad's family um was affluent very affluent family they had a, a industrial farming supply in nebraska and my mom's family were um dutch and they uh, lived like in like very poor, very very poor. They lived like in cinder block houses, like behind gas stations. My grandparents worked like two and three jobs. My mom primarily raised her younger siblings, so like there was like this big like um, class difference, like with my parents, like so that that I always found it interesting. Like it was very weird kind of growing up because my grand both my grandparents were my grandparents were completely different. Could not have been more different. So yeah. if I was with my mom's family, it was completely different than being with my dad's family. And my, um, when I was really small, my mom, most, most of my mom's family moved from the Midwest to California, pretty much everybody except my mom <laughs> because she had married my dad. And so, um, so we would, you know, when I was in Nebraska with my dad's family, like things were very like kind of like prim and proper and everything's like really pretty on the outside. And like my grandmother was like a socialite and involved in like charities. And um, and then I, you know, like so the thing the thing about that is, though, that my dad was a violent alcoholic, but that was never, ever talked about like in the family. Like it was never addressed. Like I think even when my grandmother passed, like right before she passed away a few years ago, like she wouldn't even acknowledge it then. So no family problems were ever addressed. Like it, it was just like, nope, <laughs> nope, I can't talk yep. about that. Um, and then and con contrarily, like to, when I would go to California, oftentimes like when my parents had a fight, my mom would be like, we're leaving, you know, we pack up, go to California. And we would be in California for, you know, three days a week, three weeks, <laughs> you know, like we'd be like in California, California for these extended stays. And my, my grandparents in California, my mom's family here, completely different. Um, rampant alcoholism in my, in my mom's family, um, where it was like joked about openly. Right. Um, I, I could drink really early, really young because like, it wasn't, you know, like dr drinking beer was like, you know, like whatever you want beer, like, oh, it's fine. Like you're going to do it at home. So it was, it, and they were, you know, my dad, my mom's family was more crass, more um, off color. I'd say like, you know, like just like completely different experiences from one family to the other. And um, 
So that was like uh, an interesting thing as a kid, just to see that like difference. Like, why are these? It's like it's very, you know, something that I would couldn't quite reconcile. Um. So my my mom did end up leaving my dad. Um, as as I detailed in the book, it was like kind of a um. Uh, I don't want to say. I mean, it was edging on violent. You know, there were threat light threats against my mother's life. Yeah. Um, there was a kidnapping attempt. There was, I was drugged. You know, there were all these things that happened when I was very young. And so um, we eventually moved to California full time and we're living with my mom's parents. And then my grandfather started sexually assaulting me. And that went on for a few years. And like, that was something that, you know, like here I thought, you know, leaving Nebraska that like life would be better in California really life got worse for me and that was hard you know I was like not even not even a teenager yet you know I was like you know nine. that was a that was a stomach dropping part in the book too yes yeah it's hard to read it's hard for me to read back like when I read it back like I want a different outcome and it never happens you know like I, I don't want it to happen but I but it does you know so um that went on for a number of years and um when it when that stopped when i finally like i you know got physical with my grandfather and that was the last time physically aggressive with him and like kind of was like this is not happening anymore and then it was at that point that like i saw it i don't know if i sought it out or if it was more subconscious but i started hanging out with like, you know, this is just like the very beginning of junior high. And so I started hanging out with like the partiers, the stoner kids and like the, the kids in the field. And um, so drugs and alcohol started like working almost immediately in my life. You know, like I started drinking, partying, um, drinking and using pills or whatever, like privately, like I wanted it to be something. So I would use and drink and stuff with friends, but I did a lot of using drinking alone because I wanted, I don't know, there was something about like um, the control I had, the (laughs) control I had, like just being alone, listening to music and like music's been a big part of my life because I was an only child. And like, I can't even tell you like how many hours I've spent like listening to music and pie (laughs) alone. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so like, that, that that's was... that's such a differentiating factor to whether or not you're gonna have a problem with substances if like when yeah. you're a teenager if you're doing that yeah just absolutely by yourself um repeating it like you like that happened a lot where like i would do a, a new drug with friends and they're like i fucking hated that and i'm like yeah and then i'm like well <laughs> Maybe I just didn't do it. Where right. do I so buy I'll, that anyway? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It's like, yeah, yeah. that sucked. And so I guess <laughs> that was I'm awful. doing that one by myself then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely one yeah. thing I related to also was the the connection with like the music scene and the music. And it's such, it's really just escapism at its best. Um, yeah. It, it's, there's nothing, for me, it's music and movies were yes. how I would, I would just teleport yeah yes yeah i I loved i still love movies um music is a huge part of my life reading anything anything i can escape into anything where i can like just lose myself in it i'm into it (laughs) yeah yeah. so yeah and and doing drugs with those sort of things really like it's a fantastic experience i had a lot of fun until until i didn't you know so yeah i used you know like I used a lot during my teen years and um was you know really into the music scene in the Bay Area um I mean there were incredible bands at that time and like yeah so how you know how how old were you when you got the job at Tower I was 16 16 17 I think yeah what how fun dude yeah and oh my god and so what what was the year in the Bay Area like when you were? Like it was like early, like the height of like 
all of my debauch well all of my the height of my debauchery was like the the 90s like yeah. i'm very much like 90s like that was my era of like debauchery like if i looked at it on a you know like if you look at it on a timeline like the 90s was like just crazy and then like you know i got sober <laughs> new year's day 2000 so it's like a very clean cut little measurement yeah. you know to, to look at um so yeah, I love I love like reminiscing about that era and like the music and the drugs and the aesthetic and all of it. Um, but I'm glad that I made it out. Survived it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because well, it was like a lot of debauchery. Like it was like a lot of debauchery, just like craziness. Yeah. And that's uh so and it's, it's especially now that like the '90s are are coming back. Um, yeah, yeah. So I want really so weird. it's an interesting thing, and this this always is interesting to me because I was you know South Carolina was where I grew up, and so smack dab in the Bible Belt. So there really was no person really. If there was like an atheist household or like a uh muslim household it's like they were absolutely the odd man out but even there so basically everybody had this grew up with this idea of god right so i always wonder did you have any of that was what was the was there any thought of anything like that with you and your peers during that time period did you have like growing up did you have any conception of god and if so what was it um i so so i this is something like especially in the bay area like people are very like open-minded have super different ideas of like what god is you know if you go to yeah. a meeting like people have all kinds of idea of what god you know like, or a higher power is and when i was younger so my my grandmother on my mom's side was very religious and my grandmother on my dad's side was also very religious in the sense that she wanted to, you know, because she was all about appearances. So she had to show up at church. <laughs> so it was important that you go to church, but she didn't, it, it didn't really, you know, it wasn't implemented really in daily life. So when I was a kid, primarily when I went to church, it would be like going to mass with a friend, you know, like it was not like we didn't have every once in a while if my dad had been like on a on like a sober spree like if he was off the wagon is it on the wagon or off the wagon on the wagon he was on the wagon we would the water maybe... wagon is what it is uh, oh okay that's the etymology of that yep. okay because i'm always like wait is it on the wagon or off yep. the wagon whichever on one wagon. he wasn't drinking um we would go to church maybe like you know, like for a few weekends in a row, and then he would, you know, start drinking and cheating and, <laughs> and go back to his sinful ways. And that would be the end of that until the yeah. next time. And so like my, my experience, like with religion, and like was kind of like, you know, like a roller coaster, like through my childhood. And then um, when, when I was about 14 or 15, I would go to church independently with, with one of my girlfriends because you know we were into like mind expanding things and <laughs> masculine <laughs> like yeah. we thought it'd be fun like to do like to have this experience and incorporate church with it so yeah. we would go to a saturday evening service <clears throat> at this lovely church it was absolutely beautiful here in the bay area and um we would talk to the priest afterward and like he must have thought we were just out of our minds like, but, like while you were on masculine Sometimes we were on drugs. Yeah. That's like not all the time, awesome. but sometimes, but he would, he would never shut us down. He'd always take time to talk with us. He'd like say, if you want to come to youth group, you can't like, he was never pushy about it. Like, so, um, so we would go back. <laughs> my mom thought it was nuts. Like my mom thought, you know, like she, that we were doing some kind of crazy cult thing. I'm like, no, it's just church mom. Um, and so I started getting more into like I found comfort in that. I have always found comfort, like going, going to mass. Like I still, I'm a, I'm the worst Catholic ever. Like I don't pretend to be a great Catholic, but like I find peace and comfort in the rituals and in going to mass and will tear up 
Like I, there's something about it to me that touches me. And I think like, regardless of like what religion you are or what God means to you, if you're having that experience, like that's a good, like that, that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, okay. So I remember, um, one of the things that absolutely stuck out to me, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, that is exactly what I did also was, um, talking about how you collected friendships or like fast Ooh. friends was another yes. version of using basically. And I had never considered, I am absolutely, I mean, I have a podcast for God's sakes. It's like, the, so the <laughs> entire internet is my fast friends. It's like, I am the person that the, the night we meet and, and back in the day, it was usually ecstasy or mushrooms related. There were so many girlfriends that I got because of just mushrooms and it was like, Oh my God, we're soulmates. And then it's like, yeah. Really? Or were you just high? Um, but yes, I'm spilling my guts. I'm telling you my whole life story and we are going to be bonded because I, yes. I really realized that I drugs gave me, especially like in pathogens, like ecstasy and stuff. Drugs gave me that feeling of connection that I was desperate to this day like desperately that's what i want i want to feel connected and nothing did it like chemicals chemicals in relationships and so yeah that 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 part just really i was like damn that's i still probably do that today a little bit um it's why the the pandemic really destroyed me i went through a divorce and the pandemic all at that same time and it was just like so I just yes. sat by myself and isolated. I heard you talking about this. Was it the podcast that you had Dave Mannheim on? Yeah. I think you talked yeah. about that also, like where you were yeah. saying, cause I'm, I'm the same way. Like I'm such a social person and like, like I, I'm the kind of person, like I go to the grocery store and it'll take me an hour and a half because I'm talking to like the produce guy and the butchers and the, like I had like, and I'm like, Hey, Janet, you like, I, I know all the people at the store a simple trip will take me forever because I'm so social and I, I, I love talking to people. So yeah, the pandemic was awful. Like I, it was awful. I was like, I have like my, my sober network, can't go to meetings, can't go hang out at the grocery store, like, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but, um, <laughs> but you know, like all of those things, you know, like social events of any kind, any kind of get together music, um, all of that, like it was shut down. Mm -hmm. So it really, it, it, and, and I'm, you know, like I have mental health issues anyway, like I'm bipolar and have depression and anxiety. And I developed in, in, during the early parts of the pandemic, I developed a uh, agoraphobia, like, like legitimate agoraphobia. Because I, of uh, you were afraid of catching COVID or just yes. because you had been inside so long, then you were like, uh, well, it was, it was my, my anxiety level, but on top, like my normal anxiety, my normal mental health issues. But on top of that, my mother is severely compromised and on oxygen. Uh, and so I couldn't, I couldn't, I was very worried about like, um, her getting it. And then on top of that, I, you know, like I wasn't seeing people and I, like every bleak thought that, that everyone else yeah. had seemed to just, um, you know, like be cycling like through my brain, like, like doom scrolling, <laughs> like just like in my brain, you know, like, and I could not, I couldn't get out of it. Like it was awful. And so I got to a point where like, um, I just couldn't, I couldn't leave the house, you know, like I just couldn't. Like I'd want to go out and see people and I'm really close with my kids. And like, I see them weekly, you know, like or multiple times a week, couldn't see them, couldn't see my mom. I just like, yeah, it was awful. Like it was like the worst situation for somebody that has like mental health problems, um, addiction issues, all of yeah. those. It was like perfect storm. It was. So, yeah. yeah. Perfect, perfect storm. Yeah. Um, are you on a personal level? I always, cause I'm also severely mentally ill. Do you, are you medicated for yours? Or are you, you taking it, uh, you taking it raw? 
Oh no, I, I definitely, I work with a therapist. I take medication. I do all the things. <laughs> yeah. 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 Same. I always just, I always just, uh, workshop that question around. I've, I've tried yeah. to do both and yeah. So currently medicated, that's all, that's the constant. And maybe it's my like obsession is with my mood and my, mm -hmm. like, I'm so hyper aware of what substances like do to me and like so in touch with and it's like maybe maybe some of it is like i'm i'm not as in touch as i think i am and i'm creating problems but it's like i the struggle i've always had i've been on and off medicine since i was 11 years old and it's always been like am i do the meds like do more harm than good because i get i it seems like i always get to this place where everything's just kind of gray washed and it's just like okay here i am um i feel like i lose creativity but then like as soon you know six months of being off medication and like i'm writing suicide notes so it's yes like, yeah. ah, well yeah. okay yeah <laughs> i wish um I just wish they'd come up with some new ones, I guess. Or the contrary, like where, like, I don't even know how many times I've been like, I feel fine. I don't need the meds. Like I'm yes. doing great, like, yes. <laughs> but I'm doing yep. great because I'm on the meds. So like you go off and then you're like, then you know, like, you know, six weeks later, you're again, like writing suicide notes and like, <laughs> you know, yep. like, yeah. And you're like, you're like, oh, right. Like, it's because I went off the freaking mess yeah <laughs> they they were working okay like for some reason it seems to like like after a while you're like oh no it's this isn't the meds it's just me you know yes yes 100 100 and then I, it's like i have to remember too it's like there's no way all the the years of chemical abuse i've done did not have like some kind of lingering effect of like yeah. okay maybe you need to just you know maybe you need to take a little things um okay but i wanted to get to so when you so you got you got pregnant and that's when you calmed down for a bit and then that was when you yeah went went through your uh like housewife period yes like, yeah kinda, yeah, yeah the um yeah because i had worked at tower up until i got pregnant and then um in in some ways, um, I was joking. My son was over yesterday. I was jokingly saying to him, like, yeah, if you want to, like, fix everything in your life, have a baby. And he goes, what? <laughs> and I go, I'm absolutely joking. Yeah. <laughs> and he laughed. But um, I was like, yeah, like, I think, like, I thought, like, um, I really... I think, like, my, my kids, like, were kind of, like, um, they fulfilled something in me like that I was so high on like being a mom and like into being pregnant and like um my kids and like all of that like that it like sustained that that like god shaped hole within me for like a for a little while you know like and then as soon as um as soon as the drugs were reintroduced by a doctor you know like as soon as they were reintroduced to me it was like game on and like i couldn't i couldn't fight it like it was just like it was overwhelming you know like it was like the switch had been flipped um so yeah 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 and so i guess talk about like what finally got did it it's always you know i just had a daughter too so yeah two, two months ago so that's been a wild a wild wild <laughs> wild experience um and you know the the fear of course is is you know i never want her to have to see me high right that's the that's yeah the people in recovery that's kind of the thing um and i'm sh i'm sure you know you being a, a adult child of an alcoholic it was the same thing and i'm sure it's just that like surreal yeah. experience of like is this even like how did this happen is this happening and like what do i do now like what finally yeah got it for you or what what well, was you know what's it like being 
being a parent um and you know succumbing like being an actor yeah. and trying to be a yes parent. it's so like addiction is so great so graceful about the like it's not like for me anyway like it it was like this very subtle like you don't even see me <laughs> kind of like it's not even it's not, you know like it was so it was so slow and subtle that um that I didn't even realize it was really happening at first like I you know like I justified because like you know like I you know, started taking narcotics because the doctor prescribed it to me. And like, at first, you know, like I really was like, okay, I'm just going to take, I was trying to justify reasons. Like, do I have a headache? I think I have a headache. <laughs> you know, like I was yeah. trying to, to trick myself into like allowing myself, giving myself permission to use more than was prescribed. And that like happened like pretty quickly like and you know like the prescriptions I think because I was like a young mom and like you know like nice and personable and I'm friendly and like I think the doctor was like oh she's fine you know like just write another like every month write another script write another script so I had you know this running prescription of large amounts of Valium and narcotic you know like and coating of Uracel like every month like clockwork you know I have these pretty substantial prescriptions being refilled um so it was you know like it was it was just like an escalation of that to where you know like then I started like doctor shopping you know and then you've got these little kids that are like you know that I'm trying to justify that also like that I'm not I'm not like my dad I'm not I'm not yeah. angry with them I'm a, I'm more effective as a person I'm I uh, I deserve to take these look at all the shit I've been through in my life like, um, this is, you know, like this is the doctors prescribing it to me. Like it was all these things that I was justifying the reasons that I could take it. And, um, nobody knew, I, I don't think hardly anybody, maybe one, one of my friends might've known, you know, that I was taking as much as I was. Um, but, uh, I, it was very like secretive and I didn't, because I didn't look like what my dad looked like when I was a kid, because I, that wasn't how I was. I didn't think I had a problem really. I thought like that it was justifiable. And it was like, um, as I started, you know, like doctor shopping and then, you know, like, um, friends of mine that were doing heroin and coke regularly and ecstasy and things like that, like where I started like mixing that back into, to the recipe, you know, like when I started doing that, I was like, okay, like, maybe I, I, I might have a problem, but like, I, I continue yeah. to do it because I didn't know how to get through the day or manage my life without it. And I really couldn't, I couldn't see a way of like living with, without, without drugs, you know? And you, uh, and you, you, you hadn't really had a concept of like 12 step at that point. Right. The or only concept you... I had had was, was, like seeing my dad try to do 12 step. And so like, and so like, I didn't see it as something that worked really. Cause he, yeah. I was like, well, it didn't. And my dad was like this, like charismatic, larger than life, you know, like he was very like kind of ambitious and like go getter, but still <laughs> alcoholic. And I was like, well, why didn't it work for him? You know? Um, right. So, and I also like had this kind of like Elks Lodge, white guy <laughs> like meant to, like that's what that's what AA is gonna look like it's like this right. like um and you know sometimes it does but you know um I I really was pretty shocked when I walked into a 12-step like my first 12-step meeting and it was people you know like that looked like me I was like oh oh shit <laughs> yeah so what so what happened in uh on January 1st, 2000, that was finally the, well, the last, the last straw. Um, I don't, so that day really, I mean, it wasn't really any different because it had been, I had lost somebody that I loved, um, two years, actually the anniversary of his death was yesterday, but, um, I had lost somebody that I was in love with and, um, that was very hard that was really hard. That was a really hard hurdle to get over. 
And as much as I wanted to stop using, like it accelerated my using. And so there was like a one year acceleration and then like one year of like repeatedly trying to kick and trying to get sober. And like, I continued like to get more and more frustrated each time that like I went on and off methadone or like tried cold turkey and wasn't successful or like, you know, like I had all these failed attempts. And so um, the difference in, in January, 2000 was that somebody that I knew in my circle of friends had introduced the idea of going to 12 step to me. And I was, I was out of options. Like I didn't know what else to do. So I, I really begrudgingly went to a meeting thinking like, you know, I'm going to hate it. I'm just going to go. And like, um, I thought about using like a fake name, <laughs> you, know, <and> like, <laughs> you know, and like, uh, you know, like I was like, it's not going to work, but I, but I'm going to go because I don't know. I don't know what else to do. So it was just kind of like on a lark almost. Um, my friend had written down like a, a, a bunch of meetings and like, you know, like, so I will, I kind of went through the list that she had given me and there was one in Oakland. And, um, I think my kids were with my, I can't, I can't remember. I don't remember if I said in the book, but, um, I think my, my kid, either my mom had my kids or my ex, but I, I had the night free. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go check out this meeting. And so I went and, um, I, I think, oh, let's see. So I went and like, I stayed. So I sat there and listened for like, you know, like 20 minutes or so. And I was, I didn't understand what anybody was talking about. I was like, it's like, it's like, I don't even, like it could have been a foreign language. Like people are talking, you know, talking about like principles and the promises and like right. the, you know, like take the cotton out of your ears <laughs> or cotton out of your ears, <laughs> put it in your mouth. And like, you know, all these like analogies and like sayings and, um, so I started to leave the meeting. I got as far as the, um, the church steps and somebody came out after me. And so, um, and the end, he was like, why don't you come back in and just stay for the end of the meeting? And so I was like, okay. <laughs> Cause I was like, what am I going to do now? Wow. Yeah. And so I went back in and it was in the end of the meeting that some woman shared and she was a mom and she was an addict. And like our stories were similar enough that I heard, you know, like, you know, what, what I needed to hear. Like I, she, she said something like that, that um, struck me to the core. Like it, it, she, like she, she was speaking and like, I could not hold back the tears listening to her. Like the, the dam broke like and I started yeah. just like sobbing um so and then like three women in the meeting like came over and like sat with me and gave me their numbers and like it was a turning point like I left that meeting with like phone numbers and like people that were like we're gonna call you tomorrow uh what are you doing on Wednesday we're gonna pick you up we're gonna take you to this meeting bring your kids if you, you know like it was just like you know there there was instantly a network yeah. of people that were like were like we're gonna support you like we're gonna get you through this and it was it was a game changer yeah so that's i love stories like that where it's like yeah if that one one person didn't do that things may have uh gone very very differently very that's, yeah that's i mean yeah. that's aa working like exactly as it should which is cool to hear because it doesn't always do that but that's right. amazing yes but sometimes uh, it does. Yeah. And sometimes yeah, you yeah, have something yeah. like that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I have lots, lots of those incidences. Um, well, awesome. Uh, I want, I want to give you at least a little bit of time to uh, tell people where they can get your book and find you and all that good stuff. Let's see. You can get my book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I believe uh, book soup in Los Angeles has it. Um, Smashwords. If you Google it, you can find it. Awesome. <laughs> and my um, social media is Suki underscore Jones. I love talking recovery and drugs yeah. <laughs> with people on social media. Same. 
<laughs> I mean, I may be sober, but I love, to, I still love to talk about drugs. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the thing I know most about. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. fascinating. Good times. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and yeah, we'll have to uh, talk again. Uh, I would love that. I would love that. Thank you, Jed. It was great talking to you. Yes. Crawling in the dark